Please pray with me. Lord Jesus Christ, there is nowhere we can go to escape your presence. You are in the heights above and the lowest of lows. Lord, you also have the words of eternal life. And so, Lord, speak to us today afresh. Open our hearts, remove any barriers, Lord, so that we can hear clearly from you. It's in your name and for your glory we pray all these things. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Uh, normally, I, I like to give uh, a good introduction to a sermon, sort of easing us into the theme. I'm going to be preaching on the passage that I just read, Jesus um, feeding the 5,000, and I kind of just want to dive into this beautiful story. It's, it's such a rich story. There's a lot that's going on in here. Here at Restoration, we believe that the same Jesus who speaks to us in the Bible is also alive today, that he speaks to us. That just like in the story that we read, he wants to bless you with compassion, with healing, and with his very presence. And so we're going to talk about blessings, three blessings uh, from this passage, and let's go ahead and dive in. So the passage begins in kind of a strange way, if, if we were only to hear this one passage. Uh, it begins by saying, now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew to a, uh, there in a boat to a desolate place. So normally, as, as the early church would be hearing these stories, uh, you would hear the whole book of Matthew in one sitting or something like that, and so they would know immediately what the this is that this passage is talking about. And the this is actually a pretty traumatic event that happens in the life of Jesus. He had just found out that his dear cousin, his coworker for the kingdom, uh, a prophet of the Lord, John the Baptist, had just been killed. And this sends Jesus into a very painful place. He's grieving the loss of his dear cousin, someone who he had grown up with, someone who uh, no doubt he had shared a lot of life with. And like I said, he, John the Baptist prepared the way for Jesus. He was that, that herald of the good news, preparing Israel for the ministry of his cousin, Jesus Christ. And so now Jesus finds out that this beloved friend and family member has been killed. And it's not just a, a normal death that John experiences. Uh, he had been imprisoned by King Herod uh, because John had been uh, calling out the sexual immorality of King Herod. And so he was imprisoned for this. And then subsequently, he was beheaded because of this. And his head was paraded around in this gruesome way at a party. So Jesus knows all of this, obviously. This would have been buzzing around the entire country. And so Jesus is hurting. He's grieving this situation. He's thinking, he's probably thinking, I need a moment to kind of clear my mind. I need to process what just happened. I need to be quiet and I need to sit before my father right now for a moment. So Jesus goes to a desolate place. But then what happens next? The crowds find him. Uh, they, they come after him. Uh, they, they want more teaching from him. They want more blessing from him, more miracles from him. And so what does Jesus do? You know, he's in this painful place. So what does he do? Does he push the crowd away? Does he say, no, it's, I, I need some more space. Please move along. Elsewhere in the Bible, a crowd comes at Jesus, and they're, they're motivated uh, with, with violence, and they come, they come towards him. And what does Jesus do? He, he passes through their midst in this mysterious sort of way. Does Jesus do that here in this passage? Does he kind of 
pull the mysterious card and just kind of move through their midst to escape the crowd? You know, again, don't forget what just happened. Jesus is in a deep place of grief. Now, praise the Lord, he doesn't do either of those things. He sees the crowd and he leans into the crowd. The Bible tells us that Jesus has compassion on them and he heals their sick. He ministers to them in that moment. Now, I wonder what was Jesus feeling in that moment? Because, you know, keep in mind, on one hand, he's still grieving the death of his cousin, John. But on the other hand, he's ministering to these people. He's, he's working hard. He's empathizing with them. He's, he's ministering to them and blessing them. How is Jesus able to love them so generously while also simultaneously hurting so much? Did he use a tactic that, that sometimes we use, which is to just stuff it all down, you know? Like good Minnesotans, we have our little pain bottle and we put just everything in that bottle and just kind of stick it on the shelf and forget about it, ignore it. Or does Jesus do the opposite? Does he kind of amp himself up and he's like, I can do this, I can do this, I got this, you know, and, and sort of like over-energize himself and lean into the crowd that way? I don't think it's either of those. Uh, in a book that's been very meaningful in my own life, The Wounded Healer, um, Henry Nowen, he says this, he says that as, as we journey through life, our souls are wounded by various things. They're, they're wounded by the events of this world. They're wounded by broken relationships in our life. And we ourselves can inflict those wounds by our own bad decisions or, or poor habits. And these wounds form these deep scars upon the landscape of our souls. They're like entire canyons, grand canyons, these gaping wounds upon our souls. And our temptation is to try to cover them up or turn our back on them and ignore them or find some other unhealthy way of coping with those realities. But Nowen, who's a, a Roman Catholic priest and uh, a man with his own struggles and his own pains, he says that these wounds that we all bear, we all carry these things, he says that the Lord wants to pour his Holy Spirit into the channel of those wounds that he wants to make himself known to you in the midst of that pain. Not covering up, but pouring the cool, healing waters of his Holy Spirit into those canyons, causing lush vegetation to grow and, and the fruit of the Holy Spirit. That those wounds actually become channels of grace that we ourselves get to enjoy and be blessed by, but also those around us are ministered, ministered to by that. Think about that, that God takes the brokenness of our lives and restores them and pieces them back together in a way that can actually be a blessing to ourselves and to those around us. Only God can do that. Only God can do that. So let's go back to Jesus in this story. So perhaps, with the grief of John fresh on his mind, Jesus looks upon the crowds and he doesn't stuff his grief aside. He says, I know what you're feeling. I've experienced this too. You all have experienced grief like I've experienced. You know the oppression of, of, these, of these fake kings running around who are beheading people and you know, taking loved ones away and, and squeezing your resources out of you. His heart goes out to these people. He has compassion on them, people who he loves dearly. And so it's from that place of empathy that he has moved to a place of compassion and he blesses the people. So I hope you see what I'm getting at here. Jesus doesn't stuff down the pain. He doesn't ignore the pain. He ministers through the pain. And that's something that only Jesus can do. 
And by his grace, he invites us to experience that as well. So that's the first blessing, that Jesus Christ is the wounded healer. So secondly, what do we see in this passage? So this is a, the crowd comes to Jesus. They're in the desert, and they're hungry. So for those of you who know the Bible well, hearing those phrases, desert, hungry, bread, you know, that, that should start queuing up our Old Testament mem- uh, memories, right? You know, we're reminded of several instances in which the Jewish people were hungry in the desert, and God provides. That's one of the most beautiful ways that God reveals himself to the people over the generations. Nehemiah, the, the reading that we had this morning, uh, tells some of this story about how the Israelites were wandering through the desert for 40 years, that desert wilderness, and they were given miraculous bread from heaven. They didn't have to work the land uh, for their meals, for their nourishment. We can also talk about Elijah, the prophet, right? Uh, and he had, bread was brought to him by ravens. That would have been kind of cool, maybe a little gross, um, but, you know, <laughs> miracle bread, sweet. Uh, and then um, Elisha, the prophet after him, he also sustained about 100 men on 20 loaves of bread uh, for a, a season in the desert as well. So we see this over and over again. So fast forward to the time of Jesus, and at that time, the Jewish people had this expectation that when the Messiah comes, he would, a sign of his kingdom, he would nourish the people with this miracle bread from heaven, that that would sort of usher in the new kingdom. It would be a sign of his salvation, a sign of his love, a sign of his provision for the people. No longer would they toil and and work the ground for their food. But the king, the Messiah, would provide it for them. And so here we see that the great prophet, the promised Messiah, the rightful king of Israel, Jesus Christ, provides food for his people. All of our longings are fulfilled by Christ. And it's important to know that this isn't just kind of some like magic trick that Jesus does. It's not like Jesus has to like pull out his phone and look at his checklist of like how to become the Messiah. Oh, provide food. And so he's like, oh, I'll check that one off. And then he kind of goes to the next task, you know, okay, what else do I need to do to prove that I'm the Messiah? This, this isn't just like some kind of productivity or, or prophetic task list that he's working on. No, he provides food in the desert for the people because he loves them. His heart goes out to them. He sees them hungry. It's a dry land. There's no fruit that's growing up from the land here. There's no easy way to nourish the people. And he loves the people. His heart's going out to the people. And so he says, no, you don't have to go anywhere. Stay here. Let, let's, let's have a meal here. And then he miraculously provides for them. Like, what were the stories like? What was the laughter like that was happening in that moment? Like, what a party. What a feast on this fish and bread. He provides for his people because he loves them. So I have to ask, what desert are you in right now? What kind of desert experience are you in? Maybe it's a relational desert. Maybe you've been cut off from friends. Maybe you've been betrayed by loved ones, and so you feel isolated right now and lonely. Maybe it's some kind of material desert that you're in. There's a a loss of, of job, or maybe finances are super thin right now, or maybe you've lost your vocation, and so you kind of have this this questioning of, of your purpose right now, and so you're sort of in this, this desert of, of purposelessness, to be honest. Would you be vulnerable before the Lord and tell him about that? Would you ask him to meet you, to feed you in the desert? You can do that just in the quietness of your own heart, you know, as your head is, is resting on, on your bed at night, or when you wake up in the morning, 
Just be honest with the Lord and, and tell him how you're hurting. Tell him how you're, you're in this desert experience right now and how that makes you feel and, and how you're grieved over that. Because he knows and he sees that. And he wants to meet you in the desert. He wants to feed you there in the desert. And I don't know what that's going to look like. Maybe it might be some kind of miraculous provision. We believe that that happens. We believe that Jesus does that. He can also surprise you. He might answer your prayer in a way that you're totally not expecting. But by his grace, you will receive that and be blessed, knowing that he is with you in the wilderness. He is with you in those painful moments because he is a good God. He is a compassionate God, and he wants to bless you. He wants to bless you with his very self. Jesus gives food in the desert. So thirdly, so not only is this a, a passage that, that reminds us of all of these past messianic expectations and that Jesus fulfills all of those, but this is also a glimpse into the future. This is a glimpse into the future. Do you know that, that this story uh, that we just read is told in, it's the only miracle story that's told in all four of the Gospels. This was something that the early church loved to remember. They loved to talk about this story and they would tell it in, in, you know, according to their different memories of, of what happened. I, I love this. When the early church told this story, do you know what else this would remind them of? It would remind them of their own regular practice that they did. The Lord's Supper, Holy Communion, Eucharist. Just look at the words that are used in this. Jesus takes the bread. He lifts it up to heaven. That is, he blesses it. He breaks it, and then he gives it to them. And then it's the apostles who then pass the bread out. It's the same words used regularly by the early church in their Eucharistic liturgy. Same words that we use many, many generations later. But these, these words are also used in other Jesus stories about bread and, and miraculous feedings and, and revealing himself you remember the story on the Emmaus Road and, and Jesus has that amazing Bible study with the disciples and then afterwards he breaks the bread and all of a sudden they're like, oh my goodness, this, this is actually Jesus. They see him and their hearts burn within them. It's this holy moment of, of enjoying fellowship with Jesus there, his very presence. But also there's a, a, a similar story when Jesus meets them in Jerusalem after his resurrection or the story in which he meets them on the beach there and he, and he provides breakfast for them. It all uses the same language of Jesus taking, blessing, breaking, giving. It's these cues like, oh, this is a Eucharistic moment. It's reminding the church that when they do this, they're meeting with Jesus in that moment. And certainly this reminds us of the story of the Last Supper when again, Jesus takes the bread, blesses it breaks it, gives it to them. And he says, this is my body which is broken for you. This is my blood which is poured out for you. Do this in remembrance of me. All these events are threaded together by their common language. Jesus takes the bread, blesses, breaks, and gives. So looking back, we are reminded of that Passover meal many, 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 many generations ago in which the blood of the lamb protects the people. It also looks back to the miraculous provision of God to his people there in the desert. But also it looks forward because the Bible also tells us that there will be a day in which all of those who've been redeemed by him, who've been washed by the blood of Jesus, will be raised up and we will sit with Jesus at his heavenly banquet table and we will enjoy that feast forever. We will see the Lord face to face. We'll be reunited with the saints of old who've gone before us. We will enjoy fellowship with them what a party, what a feast. 
What a great thing to look forward to. The curse of sin will no longer haunt the hearts of men and women. Evil will be vanquished. Nations will be healed by the leaves of the tree of life. And we will see our Lord face to face. So the third blessing is the promise that we will be his forever. We will be his forever. So where are you in this story? Where where are we in this story as we look at it? Don't miss that there's 12 baskets left over. And that's not just some throwaway fact there. 12 represents the people of God throughout the scriptures. In the Old Testament, it's the 12 tribes of Israel. In the New Testament, it's the 12 apostles, right? And so whenever you see 12 in the Bible, think this is a church moment. This is a moment in which Jesus is, is building the church. This is church craft. He's, he's showing us what he wants us to do, the church, in this moment. In verse 20, it says that they ate and they were satisfied. Oh, that every week when we come to the table that our souls would be satisfied by the presence of Jesus Christ. So they took up the 12 baskets full of broken pieces. And so that is our job now. We, the church, take up the work of Christ, the presence of Christ. We, the body of of Christ himself, take up his work and we share his presence. We, We distribute his presence among each other and we invite others to come and to feast with Jesus, to encounter him, the power of him, the forgiveness that he offers us. In a moment, you're going to come forward. We're going to, we're going to invite you to come forward. We're not going to force you. <laughs> we're going to invite you to come forward and to open your hands and to receive the bread of Jesus. It's not my bread. Uh, it, it's not the bread of others. Uh, we're, we're just servants. We're just waiters at the table. Jesus is the host. He is the one who prepares this meal for, for you. He is the one who, who promises to be present in the midst of that bread and that wine so that when you put your hands out, you are receiving the presence and the blessing of Jesus Christ himself in that moment. Know that when you come forward, Jesus sees you, he knows you, he knows your experience, and he loves you. He wants to be with you. He wants to, to give your soul a, a foretaste of, of that great banquet that's going to be coming. Our souls leap within us when we, when we ingest that spiritual food and are nourished by him. We are fed by him. So leading up to that moment, you'll hear the words of the gospel proclaimed. We proclaim the gospel every single week here. You'll hear that Jesus pays the price for our guilt and our shame so that you can have access to this abundant life with him, this life of blessing with him, knowing that he is the wounded healer who actually leans into our suffering and our sorrow and wants to bless us in that. He wants to transform those moments into moments of blessing and grace to be enjoyed by you and by others. Know that that you are also, as you come and you receive from him, that we are then called to participate in this mission. This is the mission of the church. This is what we are called to do, and nothing will threaten that. We are called to proclaim the presence of Christ to a lost and broken world. And what a joy that we get to participate in that. Because this world needs to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. This is a broken world. This is a, a desolate place, is it not? And so we get to proclaim in the desert that Christ is among us, that he is at work among us, that he provides streams in the desert, that he is there with us, healing our wounds, giving us purpose, feeding us, giving us joy. What a tremendous blessing, adventure, and honor. Please pray with me. Lord Jesus Christ, you know all of our sorrows and our pains. 
Lord, you know the desert experience that every person in this room has experienced in the past or, it, or is in right now in this moment. So Jesus, may you meet each of us right where we're at. Lord, may you receive our prayers. And may you meet us, Lord. We want to encounter you. We want to be changed by you, Lord. So remove any barriers that might be blocking our ears or our hearts from hearing from you. May we be able to sense your presence with us and be nourished for the journey ahead. We ask this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.